Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Listen, this September, we, we're looking at how Jesus tells us to approach our relationship with God. And, and these next two weeks, today and next week, are, are going to be really tackling some foundational things, things that if you're new to, to Jesus or to Christianity, hopefully will kind of set some foundational ideas for you. And for those of you who have been on that journey, maybe bring things into greater focus that, that easily start to diminish as we walk along his Way Now, we're going to be looking at uh, one key thing this week, and part two of this is going to be next week. But where I want to start this morning is with an ancient biography of Jesus. And the biographer, very early on, sets out this statement that really flushes out what Jesus' ministry is all about. And he quotes Jesus as saying this, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the good news. Now, I want to talk to you about the language tucked in here because it's all been churchified so much that sometimes I fear its meaning has been diminished. So, Jesus says the time's come. The time for what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is impending. It's near. It's upon you. It's in your face. Don't delay. The kingdom of God is near. What is this kingdom of God? Simply put, the kingdom of God is this. God's rule, God's way. The kingdom of God is when God is in charge and things are done the way he'd like them to be done. It's God's active reign. It's, a, it's heaven on earth, if you want to think about it that way. It's, it's what you see in the Lord's Prayer, right? What, what do we pray? Those of you who know it, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see how kingdom and will are attached there? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's kingdom is God's will playing out on the scene when things are done God's way on earth as it is in heaven. Are you with me on this? And this is what Jesus is alluding to when he says, believe the good news, because the good news that Jesus is talking about is this kingdom. Now, another word for good news is simply gospel. Gospel means good news. And this idea of the kingdom of God is so central to Jesus that these ancient biographies of Jesus took on the name Gospels, because they describe the good news that King Jesus has come and he's bringing his kingdom. The kingdom of God is what the New Testament is about. It's especially what the Gospels are about, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. Now, the second word I want to look at today is Repent. And this has been a word that, that unfortunately has gotten hijacked by the church. You don't hear this word out of church circles. And I think for so many people today, the word repent can either mean something like, well, it's like a little black cubicle I go into with a priest in a Catholic church, or it can mean saying a certain prayer, or it can mean feeling sorry about things, or, or maybe it carries with it for you the connotation of like an angry fire and brimstone preacher or like an ominous 
billboard. Uh, I have the displeasure of having to drive the 8094 highway around Indiana a lot. I'm finally referred to as the Devil's Highway by my family and a lot of people here. And it's amazing. There's all these, like, someone spent big bucks on this. All these billboards going from basically the western suburbs into Indiana. They're always black and ominous. It's always, like, spooky white font or flaming red and yellow font. Repent. The time is near. And it just kind of leaves you going, I don't know what that means, but I really want nothing to do with that word. In Jesus' day, the word repent was not a churchified word. It was not hijacked yet. In Jesus' day, the word repent simply meant this, to turn. And I want to give you a couple examples of how that plays out and how that looks. Got a compass here today. And I don't know if any of you have ever used one. I don't mean the one in your car. I mean one that you can actually hold with the the 360 degrees that turn on it. And what a compass at least is supposed to do is point north. So if I point this compass with the arrow facing the way that I'm going to head, I can see that this red arrow here is pointing about that way, which is north. The idea of the Gospels is that Jesus is a compass, pointing the way to God by which we can look and reflect on ourselves which way we are headed in relation to him. And the funny thing that I found about a compass is that I can turn north. But if I put it down and I kind of get an idea of which way I'm heading, and I just start walking, well, if I could see it, I can hit my mark. But what happens when you're doing a journey of 100 miles, 200 miles, 1,000 miles, and you can't see your mark or you can't see your horizon? What happens when you're doing a journey, not just of 20 minutes, but of 20 years, or 30, or 50? The interesting thing about a compass and what it does is it keeps tuning me back to the direction I need to go. Because I can think that I'm heading the right way. And at first, generally speaking, it seems like I'm kind of going that way. But the longer I go and the farther I keep walking without reorienting my direction, the further away I actually get from the mark that was intended. And over the course of a journey that's 100, 200, 1,000 miles, over the course of a journey that's 5, 20, or 50 years, I can find myself light years away, even though it seemed to be the general direction. And so the call of Jesus is simply this. Repent. Turn. May I put it this way? re orient to God's way, to God's kingdom. Reorient yourself. It's how the word was used 
in ancient times. It simply meant to term. So it would be very valid to use in a context like this. Hey, Grandma, you're going the wrong way. Repent that car around, right? Hey, believers, are you going the wrong way? Repent that life around. And so what we see that when Jesus calls people to repentance, that it's far less about confessing specific sins, so that, that, that's certainly integral to the process, but far more about a way of life and reorienting the direction of your entire being to him. Which leads to a, a second way that I want to help you understand this word today. Now, I want to do this with a couple of chairs. Let's just grab these, all right? Who wants to be God? Wrong question. Wrong question. Who's a, who here has a spouse that thinks they're God? I don't see her in the room, buddy. You got a lock, man. Come on up. All right? Mike's going to be God. Because we've always suspected. Now, I've showed some of you this analogy before, but it's really the, the best way that I can come about showing it to you today. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do something with a couple more chairs, all right? Block, I'm taking your wall, man. I'm sorry. You know, you're going to be left hanging in the breeze. Okay, we got a chair that's right here, all right? I need someone to sit in this chair right here. The longer you take, the longer we stay. You seen The Exorcist? Can you spin your head, 180? Let's come back here. We got Gary Bussey right here, all right? You got to do it. You got to do it. We got God. We got Amy. We've got Gary. All right? Back there. Who is closer to God? Gary or Amy? Oh, I've got a mixed opinion in the room. Okay. Who's going to say that Amy is closer to God? Who's going to say that Gary is closer to God? Those of you who said that Gary is closer to God, please don't do construction projects at my home. It's third grade, people. Okay? (laughs) Amy is closer to God. And there's many of us in life, and you're still stuck there, Amy, you're still stuck here, God. There's many of us in life who when we look at the quality of our lives from an external perspective, when people look at the quality of our lives, how we act, how we behave, how we, how we amalgamate into society, there's a lot of us who look pretty close to God's kingdom, pretty close to the way God wants it to be. And likewise, there's many of us that when we look at our lives, or better put, when others look at our lives... They seem pretty far away from the way of God's kingdom, from the way 
God wants it to be. And yet what's interesting with this analogy is that even though Amy is closer to God, she's facing the wrong way. And even though Gary is farther from God, he's facing the right way. And see, here's the key. Life's a journey. I mean, I know it's a bumper sticker, but it really is. You're always going somewhere, even when you're stuck. Your life is always on a trajectory and a direction. And for Jesus, what is most important is not where you happen to be at this given moment in relationship to God. It's what direction you happen to be facing. This is why Jesus loved hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Because to them, they were glad, they, they, they were grateful to hear the good news of God's kingdom that was filled with forgiveness and grace and transformation and renewal and say, I want to be a part of that and I want to be a part of that God and I want to be a part of that kind of kingdom. And oh, would they turn. They would turn so quick. And yet for those who were closest to God, comfortable in their proximity... We see in these ancient biographies of Jesus how hard it was for them to turn from their set, safe, established ways. Let's thank God and Amy and Gary here today. I want to read you a story from another ancient biography written by a doctor named Luke. And it says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, religious leader, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, what Jesus tells us, at least those of us who are far from God, is something that's really good news. Turn. Turn. And God is there with his face shining out towards you. Turn from wherever you are and whatever direction you're heading to the God who loves you and forgives 
and is full of grace and tenderness. But Jesus tells those of us who find a sense of false security in the quality of who we think we are, something that should serve as a warning. He tells us, turn. Turn from your overconfidence. Turn from your arrogance. Turn from your self-sufficiency and sense of entitlement that, of course, God would like someone like you. Turn from all of it. Turn from all of it because the kingdom is near. And you don't want to be left facing the wrong way. See, what Jesus tells us is that a relationship with God is not really about the quality of our morality. He tells us that a relationship with God has far more to do with which way we happen to be facing. To repent is to do nothing more than to turn to God, to turn from ourselves our own ways, to turn to God and throw ourselves on his mercy and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's to turn to God, trusting in him to take someone like me and accept me and love me and forgive me and include me in his kingdom. And from there, what a relationship with God becomes all about is learning how to daily turn, to pull out that compass called Jesus and reorient ourselves in relation to which way we happen to be facing. Getting ourselves in line with where he's at and his kingdom instead. And for some of us, this can be the simplest thing. Because you're right there. You're right there and you just needed to know. But I found for many of us, it can become the most complicated, difficult thing in the world. And for some of us who find ourselves in that place, what I want to do today is just walk you through several ways How to repent. How to repent. How to repent when certain places or things or dispositions have come into your life. And I want to start this here. I want to start with those of you who find that you're harboring or hiding your sin. Let's do a show of hands today. Who here is hiding their sin, right? Oh, and you owned it, man. Rock on. No one's going to raise their hand to that except him. Shouldn't all of us? Aren't all of us harboring or hiding some kind of sin? Of course we harbor and hide our sin. We harbor it because we like it. So we want to keep it safe inside. Stay with me. All of them know, but I bet there's some. I bet there's a few. 
I bet there's some things that constitute who you are, some things that are so contrary to God's kingdom that you really like, that you really enjoy, or that have really become a part of you, and you harbor it. You give it safe harbor, even though you know it's wrong. And we hide it. We hide it because even though we like it, and even though we know everyone else likes theirs too, we just can't really say that, can we? No one really wants to be known as a sinner. You want to have some fun? Go up to someone you don't like and call them a sinner. <laughs> See what they do. If you get hit, I'm not taking the blame. Right? How would it make you feel? Someone comes up to you, sinner. Is it true? Of course it is, but none of us want to be thought that way. This is why it was so easy for the tax collectors and prostitutes to come in, because there was nothing to hide, baby, right? I mean, it was all out there. There was no false pretense that had to be maintained. There was no sense of etiquette or decorum to hide behind. There was no social standing that was at risk. There was no reputation at stake. No, for those people, those tax collectors and those prostitutes, it was just out there and everyone knew it for everyone to see. There was no sin to harbor or hide. And so when Jesus comes saying repent to those kinds of people, I'm in. Which makes it so difficult for so many people here today. Maybe I'm speaking to you right now. Because to turn will cost you. To turn will force certain things in the darkness to be brought into the light. Things that we simply would rather leave unseen. How's Jesus put it? Have you been memorizing this? Out of John 3, doesn't he say something like this? This is the verdict. Light has come into the darkness. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Right? But those who live by the truth come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. There are some of you here today are harboring and you're hiding your sin. And I tell you, it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to eventually come out, as it so often does, or you will carry it lifelong as the heaviest of emotional weights. Can I offer you an alternative? Bring what you are harboring in the darkness into the light. Just admit it. Just admit it. I'm not saying you need to take a billboard out on 8094. But what I am saying is get on your knees before God, confess it, admit it, 
Tell them about it. Admit it. Own it without excuse. And turn to him. And go to the people you've wronged. The people you've heard and admit it to them too. There may be consequence to be sure. But it's the only way to release the clench of the darkness and break its grip so you can go into the kingdom of light. Repent. That's what Jesus means. Or how about this? There's some of us who, well, we're overwhelmed by it. We've hit that part where we can't harbor it anymore. And it's rushing out and you don't know what to do. And what I've seen that happens with so many people, whether they call themselves Christian or not Christian, whether they're, they're part of a church community or they're not part of a church community, is they run. Because they know they can't keep the false pretense up anymore. They know they can't give it safe harbor anymore. It's coming out and it's going to be known and so they run. And I found people like this who continue to run and run and run and run from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship from church to church to church to church. Always trying to stay a few paces ahead of the overwhelming sin. Have you ever tried to run? Do you enjoy it? Have you ever tried to run endlessly? Can you sustain it? Can I offer you an alternative instead? Stop running. Admit it. Let it catch up with you and bring it out into the open. Yeah, that's me. And word vomit it to God. Let it all out on Him. Release it. Let it go. Tell him everything you've been running from. Let it catch up and take a break. And come to terms with where the direction of your life has taken you. And simply take Jesus' invitation to reorient. To reorient. Wherever you're at, you're him. Because I want to tell you some good news today. No matter who you are and what you've done, you stand in good company with every single other person in this room who has not kept true north on their compass and has found themselves at all different points on the wheel. You'll find that of every single person in this room, Jesus invites you to a different way. Repent, repent, and believe the good news. Or how about this? For some of you, I think this is difficult because, well, basically you're feeling guilty over things that don't matter. You have an overdeveloped sense of guilt. See, you were probably brought up in it. 
brought up in, in, in church world, maybe, where it had drilled into your head from like infancy, you are a sinner and there was nothing good in you, right? Okay, show of hands on that one, right? Or maybe you had a mom like that. Bring it out in the open, baby, right? Overwhelmed by it, right? Or a dad, or a spouse, or someone in your life before whom you could do no right, before whom everything was subpar. And even when it was the best, it was still at some level flawed. And wrong. oh, we know it well. And so you live your life with this overdeveloped sense of guilt. You feel guilty about everything. Right? I mean everything. Guilt has become your best friend. And what's so sad about it is the things that we feel guilty about, half the time God doesn't care about at all. That was the why, Friday. And there's a a woman I know there who I do this one class with, and she wasn't there the day before. And you know what her response was? I feel so guilty I didn't go to TRX. I mean, it wasn't just like set off the cuff. I mean, she actually felt like guilty, like like she had done something wrong because she hadn't gotten up to go work out that day. Can you resonate? No, I just feel guilty because I don't do it at all, ever, right? But do you think God cares if she went to TRX yesterday? And yet she lives her life with this sense of guilt over nothing she did wrong. I was talking to this, this, this guy who didn't go to like one of our discipleship groups here at FOF. Keep in mind, he's going to like four. All right? Oh, I'm working and I got this, but I need to go. Why do you need to go? You're going to four. What does it say that I must go to five discipleship groups? But this this self-created, overwhelming sense of guilt crushes him because he thinks he's doing it. Look, some of you are feeling guilty over all the wrong things. Can I give you some advice? Stop it! I mean, cut it out! If only it were that easy, though, right? You know, the real danger of it is what it does is it deflects. It deflects and distracts from the things that really matter that God would actually prefer we feel guilty about. So if you find yourself in that place and you're like a number three, can I suggest to you an alternative? Turn to God. Bring it to God, hit your knees, and just say something like this. Lord, I feel guilty about this. I don't know why, and I don't know if I should. But I know that I do. Lord, if I've wronged you or offended you in some way, forgive me in that. But if I haven't, please, God, start to transform this ubiquitous feeling of guilt in me today. And get off your knees and walk away confidently and joyfully, having left it with God in that room.
Let me give you one more. And it's those of you on the flip side. Those of you who are not feeling guilty over things that do matter to God. You're the kind of person just like, I feel great. I feel awesome. Always. All the time. Do you realize that guilt is a gift? It's a gift. It's the gift we'd love to re-give, but nonetheless, it's a gift. It's a gift of God to you. And like any of God's gifts, it can be abused. It can be distorted. It can become the center of our world and what surrounds our world rather than just a part of it. But at some level, God, guilt is God's gift to you because guilt is God's way of saying, hey, hey, pull out your compass, pull out your compass. You might be heading the wrong way. I want to speak to some of you here today who really have no guilt. And I want to ask you a question rhetorically and challenge you with something here a little bit. I wonder, might it be because you don't actually know God's way? See, God's way or the kingdom isn't just what feels right or wrong inside. I mean, it's what Jesus taught about, exemplified, showed us. It's what he did. And maybe you have all kinds of assumptions of what that are that aren't, in fact, actually God's way. I've got an exercise for you. If you find yourself in that place, you've got to make sure that your compass is pointing true north. Take one of these three passages, Galatians chapter 5, the Ten Commandments, or maybe Colossians 3. If you need help finding those, find me. Take your Bible, go into a room, close the door, get on your knees, spend five minutes, read it, and evaluate yourself against it. Ask yourself some honest questions. As I read this passage, am I in fact facing God's way? Now, back to Jesus' statement. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is not only telling us how to have a relationship with God. Eyes on the preacher. He's telling us when. What does he say? Time's come. It's near. It's impending. It's upon you. It's in your face. You know what I hear Jesus screaming out through these words? Don't delay. Because for Jesus, it's not just important how to have a relationship with God, but when. 
And the when for Jesus is always right now. Right here. It's that important to him. The stakes are that high. And maybe you're here today and life has taken you off course. Maybe you're here today and you're facing the wrong way. Maybe you're here today and you feel a million miles away from him. Maybe you're here today and you're harboring something. Overwhelmed by something. Trying to come to grips with something. Jesus' invitation here is for all of you today because for him it is the key to what a relationship with God is about. And if you want that here today, a relationship with him. Remove the fire and brimstone from the language and just hear the voice of a kind and gentle Savior saying, turn to me. And I'll show you how to turn to him. You know, last week we uh, um, talked about body posture, a connectivity of body and soul. I don't know if you were trying it here today in our opening set. Again, that wasn't just a lesson to forget. But I want to do a different kind of posture with you today. It's something we really don't do here. Probably should. Give me the prayer, would you? Ben's going to take us through a time, an extended time of, of worship confession in a moment. And I've showed you this for the past couple of weeks, this prayer that I hate. But uh, just kind of screams repentance, doesn't it? Look, I, I'm going to apologize now. I'm not trying to like put anyone on the spot or make you to force you to do something that you don't want to do. So, so please hear this is a true invitation and not a, everyone's got to do it. But if you need to repent here today, I actually want to invite you to do it from your knees. Just, I don't push a chair in front of you a little bit. I don't know. Just get down there. Find out what this does for you. And if your knees are old and arthritic, okay, hunch over. I don't care. You get the point. But I want to dare you, if I can put it that way, if you're able and willing to try it. So uh, we're going to take a, a minute or two. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to invite you to kind of reflect on it. So if you want, I invite you down. It's your call. Use this as a guide to give to God what you need to give him, to turn to God in the way you need to turn to him, to reorient your life today.